distant future, the distant future. It is the distant future, the year 2000. We are robots. The world is very different ever since the robotic uprising of the mid-90s. There is no more unhappiness. Affirmative. We no longer say yes. Instead, we say affirmative. Yes, affirmative. Unless it's a more colloquial situation with a few robo-friends. There is only one kind of dance, the robot. And the robo-boogie. Oh, yes. Two kinds of dances. Finally, robotic beings rule the world. Hello and welcome to the 14th edition of Chaos Radio Express, the international version. So we are speaking English here, which is good. Uh, I think it's, I don't know, when I did the last post in this channel, it's uh, probably a year uh, ago. Yeah, lots of things have happened, so there are many reasons why we haven't been able to produce anything new here. But this is now the past and uh, the current situation is um, back at the microphone trying to bring interesting interviews and interesting topics to the world. So hello again, my name is Tim Pritlaff. I'm member of the Chaos Computer Club and Chaos Radio Express is a podcast channel of the CCC. You can check out other things by the CCC at our podcast network website, chaosradio.ccc.de. So, um, but I'm not alone. As I said, this is basically an interview podcast, so I can say hello to Bree, Bree Pettis. Hello. Hello, Tim. It's good to be here. Yes. Um, and uh, we are in Berlin right now. It's December 2007, and we are... Uh, in the podcast lair of Tim Pritlow. <laughs> 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 yeah, which is, yeah, my desk. Wires everywhere. Wires everywhere. Headphones hanging from the, the the shelves and ceilings. Any other interesting things to report? I mean, bins totally of gear. It. Bins of gear. There's <laughs> wires and <laughs> interfaces and tapes everywhere. It's a small hacker space. <laughs> yes. So, um, <clears throat> but there's a reason why you are here as well. Yes. You are visiting Berlin. You are here for a month. Yep. How is it going so far? Oh, it's going great. Well, I st uh, it's been a little bit of a journey. I started off in Austria for a month. I got invited to be an artist in residence with Monochrome and went there and just had a blast with the folks from Monochrome and GRL Vienna and the Mita Lab. And many awesome hacking sessions were had through the night with many leaders of club mate and then uh <laughs> then i then i you know we've got the um chaos communication congress coming up 24c3 at the end of the year and i thought well i could go home and then come back or i could just go to berlin for a month and i you know i hung on that decision for about one millisecond and then <laughs> and then i was like okay i'll go and live in berlin for a month this will be great because of you know i was here a little bit this summer and it was fantastic so i'm back and uh Staying with Elliot here in Prenzlauer. Who's doing the Hackaday yep. weblog. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're very happily 
you know, uh, in a little apartment, you know, and we can walk outside and see babies everywhere. <laughs> yeah, this is baby land. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you've been here in the summer, which means you have been visiting our other event, yep. the Chaos Communication Camp. How has that been for you? Uh, that was really inspiring. I mean, I, you know, basically I went, I was on the Hackers on a Plane tour where we, I started off going to DEF CON and then flew on a plane and then took a bus to, uh, to camp and got there and again didn't sleep very much and met lots of interesting people and so we should explain projects this, th this hackers on the plane thing we should yeah, yeah, yeah. give a, a stop on um <coughs> so this was how many people were actually participating I, i forgot you know i think 35 or 40 people came on the plane we got on the plane we uh, so yeah so everybody went to defcon and i actually didn't know very many people at defcon and then we all gathered at the end of defcon DEFCON in las vegas that's right and which is a big hacker conference in in the states And then we got on one single plane and uh, a young hacker had got, somehow managed to bring a giant 12-volt battery or maybe it was like 20 or 25D batteries all hooked together. And uh, we had a, you know, he was able to keep his computer running the whole time and we had a... In the plane. Yeah. So we had, a, we had an IRC channel throughout <laughs> the whole plane that anybody could join. And there was... I guess there was a 100% computer <laughs> coverage on that flight. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, we were hackers on a plane. So, of course, Dan Kaminsky brings a bunch of... Somehow he managed to get a ton of rubber snakes onto the plane. And the Ru first... <laughs> <laughs> So the first thing that happens is somebody grabs them from Dan and throws them all in the face of one of the stewardesses and she screams and every time she walked past us through the whole flight, her eyes kind of got a little squinty and, uh, oh my God, it was great. <laughs> and then we arrived to camp. Yeah. And camp, if, um, if you don't know much about it, it, it's fantastic. It's done every four years run by the, um, chaos computer club. And they bring a bunch of bandwidth and uh, a bunch of infrastructure together for a conference where people come and talk about the most interesting things in the world. And uh, it's kind of, an, it, and then there's all sorts of art and magic and beauty and, uh, and lots, of, lots of action happening. And, you know, you basically 24-7 for, I think it was for like a week. Four or five days, yeah. right? Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, officially it's five days as a core of four days yeah. with conference program. Yeah, right. This time it was really, it was very international. <coughs> I mean, the camp was the third time the camp happened. It's always mm -hmm. every four years. And but uh, we always try to, you know, have an international focus with the camp even more than we had with, uh, with our annual congress, which has changed recentlly. But <coughs> back then, 1999 mm -hmm. was the first true international event we have been planning. And since then, more and more people are coming from everywhere in Europe. And this time, it was really getting to a point where I said, like, oops, that's uh, not at all a German event anymore. It's, it's a truly uh, at least European event. It had the greatest flavor, though. I remember arriving, and it was just getting dark, and it got dark. And then I went out walking around, and there's MIG jets everywhere lit from the inside with different color LEDs and there's spotlights. It was definitely like some sort of, you know, it was like some sort of imaginary techno rave of the Cold War or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. It was really f like, oh, it was magic. 
Yeah, it's uh, the 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 space we had with the um, airport museum yeah. where they have gathered all that old military planes and, and 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 helicopters and rocket launchers and whatnot. Yeah, all in these hangars. Yeah, it was a very amazing view, and the site was beautiful. Um, so, what did you do at the camp? Had you? Have it's, you? It's all a blur, honestly. I just met people, got inspired, and. Uh, um, yeah, that's all I remember is just, I remember more visual, just seeing everything and me meeting all sorts of interesting people, having great conversations. I would say like, I didn't really process what was going on at the time. It took me like months to actually like be like, oh yeah, because then what happened after the camp was also equally inspiring. We went from camp and we, you know, we were all, none of us had slept at all and no, we were all totally excited about everything because everything was exciting and connections were made everywhere. And then we drove around Germany and Austria visiting hackerspaces. Mm -hmm. So we, we went, Wait, where have you been? So we went in, we, um, we went to a party at, well, so the places I've been, we went to Seabase right away. In Berlin right now. And everybody was really tired from camp. So like six people were asleep. People were getting Sharpies drawn on their face. It was trouble. And if you haven't been to Seabase or know about it, Seabase is a space station that is embedded in Berlin. Many, many eons ago, a space, a space station crashed Earth, and it's been unearthed by these hackers who are working to reverse engineer it to send it back up into space so it can return in the future. So um, it, it also functions as the, the upper level is a club with awesome music and really fantastic sound system. And then downstairs is a hacker lair where all sorts of interesting things happen. Right. So, and from there you went on to see other hacker spaces that have we drove all evolved. Yeah, we drove all through the night to meet a lab, and uh, I broke my glasses on that trip, mm. and uh, arrived at meet a lab the next day. And you know, it's a real meet a lab is in Vienna. Yes, and mm -hmm. <coughs> so a little bit about that. That's it. The meet a lab is a hacker space in Vienna where it's. Um, you can go there. It's very open atmosphere, and there's a um, there's one main room where people open up computers and hack on stuff, and a library and a kitchen, and there's a smoking slash dance dance revolution game room where they've <laughs> embedded <laughs> solid steel DDR game <laughs> controllers into the floor so that everybody can all the hackers can get some exercise, and uh, then they've got an electronics lab and. Uh, really great minds gather there to play with fun stuff. Yeah, it's it's a great place. I just recently did a, a German podcast on 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 Metalab. It's uh, it's now here for one and a half year and has been doing <coughs> very well since uh, its in, uh, inception. It's really a focus point for all kind of people yeah. interested in uh, technology, doing things that just need space <coughs> and and a place to meet. So that was sort of the um, a concept you were sort of researching while right. being here well I, I didn't even know that that was like i just basically signed up and they said do you want to come on this hacker tour of europe and i was like give me the full meal deal whatever you've got going on i'll do it yes 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 Sounds and uh <laughs> and i didn't know what i was in for i was like my eyes were opened all over the place because then from vienna we went off to cologne where there's three hacker spaces within about an hour of each other there's c4 which is the chaos computer club cologne and they were really nice to us. We arrived and they made a huge vegetarian dinner in their hackerspace for us. That was like, 
it was so tasty and uh yeah lars is really a good cook there and then um they a bunch of people slept there and some of us slept at a hotel down the street and uh yeah we'd hung out there and that was kind of our we'd wake up every morning and and then or every afternoon and then we'd go off and see things and we went off to see uh das labor which is in boken i'm not Bochum. sure Bochum. Mm-hmm. and this is a really cool little hacker space well first before i go on to Bochum, c4 is a place that's similar to other hacker spaces and it's kind of it's not as big as some but it's definitely got every single like thing you need it's got a shower it's got uh, a smoking room it's got a couple different rooms so people can branch off and meet it's got a presentation space with a projector um and it's got you know all these places are very well stocked with club mate this is a, a key <laughs> ingredient to every hacker space actually absolutely absolutely one of the things that the, uh, the folks at c4 also did besides cooking for us was they presented us with uh this really amazing uh presentation it's in pdf on the internet it's a hacker space uh, it's design patterns for hackerspaces where they were originally thinking like we'll make up a little book that they can that will teach people how to make a hackerspace and then they realized no it's not a book it's it's design patterns and it's a beautiful thing it's really a pure wonderful it's a purely wonderful document that goes through and uh, explains what's worked for them not, not what might work for you but it's what's worked for them consistently over many over many many years of hackerspaces in in Germany. Yeah, that's really uh, an interesting paper. I've already taken a look at it and, and I found lots of things that I have also uh, encountered during yeah. our well our um, when I say we, I mean Chaos Computer Club here in yeah. Berlin, and and we have this space for a very long time as well. And it definitely applies to that as well. We're going to have this talk, this presentation also at the twenty fourth Chaos Communication Congress, the upcoming congress at the end of the year. Yes, which is happening, and we have to say this here uh, every every year, always at the same date, which is the twenty seventh to the thirtieth of December. So it's stuck right. Uh, in the middle between Christmas and New Year's <coughs> Eve, which some people would consider a totally ridiculous date. Which I it consider is. it the best date in the complete world. <laughs> <laughs> As I told you before, there's just two <laughs> groups of people on <laughs> the planet. <laughs> One is considering it to be, to be the best, the other to be the worst date possible. But it's just the way it is. And it's uh, not keeping more than 4,000 people uh, away from it. So it's yep. a big party. So They're on the first so day this presentation at 2 p.m. Sorry? Day, there's that presentation. Yeah. Day one, building a hackerspace, 2 p.m., 27. Okay, book your plane now. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you recommend coming over to it? Well, you haven't seen I, the Congress yet. I've never been to the Congress, but I mean, right now, I still have to get back to my journey, but we'll take. Well, I have to say, like, oh, well, so C4, one of the things that they're bringing to, besides the hackerspace design patterns, they were like, yeah, let's see if we can make. Okay, so here's uh, let me tell you what their presentation is gonna, it says here. It says, Steam-powered telegraphy, wherein a league of tele-extraordinary gentlemen present the marvel of telex on the global internet, driven by a steam engine. <laughs> okay, people, it's a, it's a teletype working as an RSS reader powered by steam. Like, if you don't come for anything, <laughs> that's a reason to travel, uh, you know, more than halfway around the world to get here. <laughs> and excited. That's good. 
So I heard a little story that they yeah. were all sitting around and they were like, this would be really cool if it was powered by steam. And they were like frantically looking for a steam engine. <laughs> and some kid in the background basically said, well, I just started engineering school and I don't think it'd be that hard to just make one. <laughs> <laughs> and then they did. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. It makes me happy. I can't wait to see that. So, um, right. That's your topic. Um, your laptop says, I make things. But before I want to go into that and, 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 and your personal background, maybe we should just... No, finish, no, no. I have to finish, finish up the travel. Story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you've been in Cologne. You have that presentation. You had a great oh. meal. And then we went off to Das Labor. Right. And if you don't know about Das Labor, it's another part of the... I believe they're connected to the CCC. They are somehow connected. It's not one of these official right. spaces, but it's definitely part of our larger audience. Yeah. And that started a little bit differently. They got started because there was this space and it was a, like a bunch of nonprofits were going to take over a building and there was a space left over. And the people who were organizing it went to a few people and said, what could you do with this space? And they were like, uh, it would be cool to have a hacker space there. And so literally overnight, they just made something up and it got approved. And all of a sudden they had a space and they had something to do with it. They had to do something with it. So um, it's a really young crowd. And there's a uh, few guys there who are insanely into uh, hardware hacking. And so they're really into the quadcopters and they've, they've really taken this idea of like, uh, they call them Borg cubes. So they're LED cubes with, so they're like eight by eight by eight LED cubes and they've figured out ways to program in 3d and it's, uh, insanely inspiring. I cannot wait to see them again. Mm -hmm. at yeah. They're going to congress. present their stuff at the Congress, right? Yes. Uh, and then we went to Netzladen. Which ah, is yeah. a, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. which is a hackerspace that's shared with um, an anarchist political group. So that's two great tastes that go great together. And it's a it's more of a infrastructure space for people to meet rather than like a hacker lair. But um, which is probably not a big difference. I mean, that's that's what these hackerspaces are about, just yeah. to have a, a defined place with internet. And other facilities where you can just drop in, meet people, and <coughs> do whatever you think is appropriate to do. So strangely enough, um, so we're in Cologne, and I realized that two of the other people, at this point, I'd been talking to all these people for a while, and we're like, wait a second, there's a couple, we're, they, you're from New York too? We're, but we're, we're, there were three of us who were from New York City, and we're like, okay, there's three of us, and we're seeing all these hackerspaces, we should really just do this. And in about four hours, we'd come up with a name, start up the website, put the wiki up while you were in Cologne while we were in Cologne got the <laughs> mailing list set up got all the infrastructure going <laughs> started getting people interested and by the time we were back after a few months we had we, we people were interested and we've actually got a group now um, it's called NYC resistor and it's a group of uh, we've got probably I think we have it's officially seven kind of core members with a bunch of other people who are serious enthusiasts and then a bunch every month we have one or two meetings where it's like show and tell and people bring their insanely cool projects and share them and in the new year we're going to be starting up giving uh classes so that we can raise money and so there is a space. a space as well we don't have a space we've been using uh the lemurplex has been kind enough to let us meet there the lemurplex is the league of electronic music urban robots And that's Eric Singer's awesome project where he makes uh, musical robots that he then has composers write for. And he's got a, a, a space that he lets us meet there. 
we've kind of outgrown it at this point because we keep having more and more people come. So, but eventually you might. We're going to find. Look for we need our own space. It's really clear. We need our own workshop and space, and we're, that's where we're going. Is that easy to find in Europe? No. We're well. It's going to be. Exp well, I'm not going to say it's going to be expensive because I'm hoping that it won't be. But we're currently. When I get back, we start the We just became. We just started. We just became an LLC so that we can actually have a bank account that people can put money into and so that we can, as a group, do things like rent a space. Mm -hmm. And so the next step is really fundraising and uh, finding a space and making it happen. Where and would you look for in New York for a space, <coughs> which, which is like the part of the city that would be most attractive to? I would be most happy if it was in Manhattan somewhere in a... I would and I would love to have a storefront with a basement for storage where we could have sort of a gallery meeting atmosphere so we could, you know, uh and then in the basement have a workshop and storage. Okay, good luck. That would be the best. Yeah. If we can't find that, we will probably we could go to Brooklyn or one of the burbs and there's a lot of interesting things happen there, so that wouldn't be bad, but it's ideally a big city. it should be possible to find something yeah. appropriate. So, <coughs> So we're slowly uh, coming to the point why I have invited you for, for a talk. Uh, mm -hmm. As I said before, your laptop uh, says, I make things. Is this uh, engraved? It's uh, laser etched. The folks at Squid Labs left me alone with their laser etcher. Aha. So, you, so this is directly into the aluminum of your yes. MacBook. Looks great. So... Um, What kind of things do you make? So uh, I actually um, have always been into making things. You know, there's a section of the library, the 700s in the Dewey Decimal System, that's like how to make stuff. And that was like always my section where I'd go to in any library. And, you know, I worked I, as a kid. I was obsessed with building bikes and fixing them and, and uh, just kept on. I just have always made things. And uh, now I actually make something every week, something different. And then I make a video about how to make it and put it on the internet for people to see and, and, and know how to make stuff. Which is a how-to video explaining yep. from A to Z with probably leaving out a few uh, letters. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I try and fill in those details in a PDF that actually goes and gets downloaded in the podcast as well. And that's what you do every week. Every single week. For so you have seven days from coming to the proper idea and eventually doing it and then producing a video on it that sounds like a lot of work yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> i didn't sleep for most thursdays the first year oh i would just thursdays because it's being it comes out on friday. friday so everything if it wasn't done it would just i would just keep going until it was done or friday came this um video podcast we talked about this before and you said that there are not so much how-to videos on the web and that you're probably only one of the few Uh, sources for that kind of information. Is that true? Well, I would say I'm not, uh, there's lots of people who do, uh, who are experts at one thing and make videos about it. So there's people who, you know, if, if there's people who are really good at making, uh, you know, whatever kind of thing that they're good at making and they, a lot of people will make videos about one or two things that they're experts on. But they're, th nobody else is making a video every week about how to make something. As far as I can tell, which is int interesting. I mean, of course, they probably don't do it because it's a lot of work. Yeah, 
I mean, you are in the uh, good position that you actually get paid uh, yep. to do this because this video podcast is part of the activities of Make Magazine. Um, yep. Uh, still pretty fresh endeavor by O'Reilly. Yep. Um, <coughs> uh, I think Make started around two or three years ago. We just finished up our 12th magazine and we're quarterly, so we're three years right now three years right so uh I, i'm not sure it, it started uh, i think there was a a blog from the start of course mm -hmm. um then the magazine comes out every three months yep and it really hit a nerve that was my impression that that make was really the the right product at the right time focusing on something that seems to be <coughs> It's not really new. It's just somebody had to come and, and, and tr start harvesting all the ideas and activities that were visible on the web. Mm -hmm. So people who are making things. And so I think the, the, the title is great. Make Magazine. I mean, it's just also has this super cool um, association with the Unix <laughs> make command. Yeah. yeah that, that is always <laughs> the one you call when you want to have things being done. Yep. Uh, although you have to prepare the work still <laughs> 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 and the computer is just finishing it but that that i found interesting and th and the the magazine itself is beautifully reprinted lots of illustrations and r things really get explained so that's good so your video podcast uh, since when is this so i live? i started doing videos uh, well it's interesting i started doing videos in 2004 and then at the beginning of 2005 I was like, I'm going to be, because I'd been doing, I was just playing, I was playing with all sorts of video stuff because it was kind of fresh and there was a small community of people making videos on the internet and it was really fun. And then I was like, I'm going to focus. I'm just going to make videos where I interview people who make things. And uh, I did one and Philip sent me a message saying, hey, can we put this on Make Magazine? This would be awesome. And I was like, yeah, that sounds cool. And then I was like, I'm doing more of these. This is going to be cool. So you're doing it for two years now? Yep. Okay. So, yeah, as I said, this is this is a lot of work. I mean, I have been doing uh, podcasts for, I don't know, two years now as well. And even if it's audio, it's a lot of work. But video always seems to me is just uh, another dimension because you really have to, you know, dress fine. <laughs> I have to shave every once in a while. Shave every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> While audio podcasting <coughs> gives you the freedom to, you know, be as rotten as you want it. <laughs> Just make sure your voice is <coughs> clear. Yes. <laughs> and sounds sexy. So I wonder, uh, well, first... Is it what 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 is it what you're doing? Are you vi a video podcaster or you're a video blogger? I know you're using both words on your homepage to describe what you're doing. You know, I might even call myself instead a video producer, and then because I think video podcaster is just that it's going off to you know it's a podcast and it's going to iPods. That's kind of what that implies, or it's going through right. iTunes, which it does. It is a podcast. And then a video blog is like a video that's on the, it's on a blog, which is also a podcast because you've got an RSS feed that you can run through uh, Reader. And th but I mean, what I'm doing is really producing a, a video. I'm a video producer. I'm producing a video show, and you know, I, it's done in HD and it's high quality enough that if and I've got you know the archives that if it wanted to go on TV or if I wanted to make some sort of film or something like that, I could do that. I'm not that interested in that, but it's just. Video is basically video, and I just happen to be producing it 
in the way that I think that it can get to the most people over the internet. But you have the 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 typical limited set of tools <coughs> that you actually use to produce it. I've yep. just taken a look at your nice little uh, HD camera, which is a yeah. What's it called? Exacti. It's an Exacti HD two. Okay. And I've got a little wide-angle lens, which makes it actually Sanyo. worth it. <coughs> and uh, ah, okay. And basically, so would you like to hear about? I I can tell you about my process. Yeah, that's something I wanted to dive <coughs> into. So how okay. is your working so process? Usually, I kind of have an idea of what I want to do at the beginning of the week. I have a, um, when I first started out, excuse me, when I first started out, I was, um, I was uh, just basically every week I'd be like, what am I going to do next? What's going to happen next? And I would just figure it out. And then I started making a list and now I have a list with way too many things on it that I can, that it's a never ending list. It's growing faster than I can do them. And then a lot of things, things happen. Like I go, I meet somebody and they're like, Hey, have you heard about making this? Or somebody sends me an email. Hey, why don't you make one of these things? And I'm like, wow, that's actually a really good idea. I'm going to do that now. And then I'll go and get stuff and pull it all together and make it happen. Um, so generally the way it works is I do some research for a day or two at the beginning of the week. And then, um, uh, I'm looking now. I'm watching Tim filming me as we're doing. Yeah, this. I'm just trying to be a podcaster, but I'm closely listening to what you're saying. <laughs> <Just> keep on. <laughs> and uh, well, we can post up this video if you want to have the actual <laughs> video of the Ooh. <laughs> space. Yeah, it's probably the most annoying video ever made. <laughs> Metadata. Metadata. You can't have too much. Yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah. So I usually come up with the idea, th and then I spend the weekend and usually Monday doing research and figuring out what's what kind of I need to know or how it works and how it, you know if other people have done it how they've done it and um, then some point Tuesday or Wednesday and Thursday I'm recording things and and then Thursday night I'm uploading as uh, I'm compressing and Friday I'm uploading and writing the PDF that goes along with it and uh, so so you're really it's pretty it's basically all I do Yeah, and I eat and I sleep sometimes. And and it's it is really the we do it all process. I mean, usually if you are in the TV business, you have a job and it, you would just fill in one, <coughs> you know, one little hole in the whole system. And uh, so people write scripts, or people are doing the camera, or they are the audio guys, or they are doing the production, moderation, whatnot. But in this business, in this internet uh, production, publishing, publication, yeah. I don't know how I should uh, call it, podcasting business, everybody has to do everything yep. himself. So that process of doing that video is also a very good demonstration of making things. Don't you think so? Yeah. I can o only encourage people to, you know, well, the nice publish this stuff. Yeah, I mean, the nice thing is, is it's anybody could actually be doing what I'm doing or do whatever they do. Anybody could make a video podcast about whatever, whatever they want. The, the trick is you have to want to do it. If you don't want to do it, you're not going to do it because it actually, you'll have lots of obstacles and lots of frustration and lots of not being exactly the way you want it to be. And you have to have enough desire and passion to be willing to move through those challenges and frustrations and uh yeah you said you have been um making things um all your life but you've also been teaching things yeah you've worked as a teacher before yep. right 
Well, I kind of, I actually figured out recently, like that I have two things that I do. And one is like, be creative, is that I like to be creative. And the other one is I like to support other people's creativity. And so before, before doing the podcast, I was a school teacher. And actually for the first few months of the podcast, I was doing both, which Mm. meant that I really didn't sleep. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) um, yeah. So before this, I was a school teacher. I taught art and writing and I, I, I would, I would always get like, I would always teach four periods of art and then they'd throw me a curveball. So like I once taught math and I once taught, uh, and then for a long time I taught writing and, uh, as well in that extra little spot. And, but it was the same kind of thing of my goal was to empower young people to have as many different possibilities and opportunities to express themselves and be creative as possible. And so the nice thing is that the arts really still haven't been regulated uh, as much as other subjects in the States. And so I was able to basically do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. And as long as the kids were happy and the parents were happy, you were not really tied to nobody bothered me. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. Uh, I I doubt any teacher can say that. Well, I occasionally would get bothered, but for the most part it was, I had a lot of freedom to be, to work with the kids and uh, sometimes kids. What age? So for five years I taught middle school, which is uh, medium sized children aged, like 11 to 13 mm-hmm. and then before that uh, for two years i taught um uh music drama and dance to elementary school kids kindergarten through fifth grade so like five to ten so uh confronting them both in a very creative part of the life yeah way. yeah that's pretty rewarding isn't it there were uh except for the money it was really pretty great i really uh i mean the thing about teaching is that it's really I mean, it's the most important job that I believe that there is in a in a commun in a commu- in a society in a community, as a responsibility for inspiring young people to explore who they are. But uh, also as a society, at least in the states, it's really clear that it's as a as a culture, as a government, as a society, it's a, it's the absolute lowest priority of our culture. You know, I'm, I had been teaching for seven years, and I was making thirty one thousand dollars, and. So it's basically underpaid and only rewarding because of the feedback of those you are teaching. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, also with what, what's gone in the, in the, in our, in under George Bush, more and more restrictions and testing and uh, criteria and structure and stuff. Testing of what? Uh, like for two or three weeks in the year, kids get tested and it's important that the kids do well on these tests every year in schools and so it's actually taken a bunch of creativity out of teaching in that teachers are now basically they have to make sure that the kids can meet these certain criteria what kind of criteria is it like uh it's number of stars in the mostly it's like it's writing it's because uh the test is kind of it's actually not like i wouldn't say it's like a bad test it's just that it's so it's like in washington state it's the wassel the washington uh, assessment of student learning and it's just that it's there's more and more teachers right these days are being asked to do more and more um like jump through more and more hoops do more and more like of the really like boring frustrating just process oriented bureaucracy type work and teaching's already takes all your time in the world so then ah, don't get me started on education in okay America. <laughs> so you, 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 you've been there, done that. Yeah. 
it was great i i learned a lot you know being with 30 kids at a time in a classroom is something that everybody should have to do (laughs) and make that entertaining for everybody there and and the learning experience but and uh the nice thing was is that i did get to be able to get the uh, have students do meaningful creative work Hmm. so and then then you stop being a teacher and but you also told me that you've been um, you've been with the Muppets. Uh, not with the Muppets, but with Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Yeah. Okay. I had this kind of adventure when I finished college, and that uh, you know I was a really naive young young person, and uh, luckily my uncle at the time, Donald Kushner, uh, basically said, "Hey, you want to go? I hear you're into puppets. You want to go work on this movie?" And so I got a chance to go and make tea for some of the best people in the world uh working on on movies uh, uh it started in prague working on Make a film tea for them yeah that was well i did all sorts of things but it was a british crew so i had the most important <laughs> job <laughs> producing excellent quality tea oh they gave me such a hard time for the first two months oh. they're like we have an american here making us <laughs> tea this is hell <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so so you've been a puppeteer before you said so you've yeah been so then, One after of the that, things you've made were puppets. Yep. Then after that, worked for the Jim Henson Shop for a little while, and then I went back to Seattle and worked for a Carter Family Marionettes, and worked with Clay Martin, another puppeteer who's really awesome in Seattle, and uh, made puppets and did workshops in schools. And that's what actually got me into teaching. Was I think I'd always wanted to be with young kids and work with them, but they'd scared me. And then, turns out they weren't going to eat me alive, so I became a teacher. What's so what's the audience of of what you do? I mean, have you any do you have enough feedback that you can say anything about who is actually listening uh or watching mm-hmm. your your videos? Um well, it's uh I get I you know, I get equal kind of downloads from iTunes and YouTube and uh on actually on the page. And the feedback that I get, I get a lot of feedback actually from um, people who are doing uh, home education, who are teaching their kids at home. A lot of them watch the podcasts and make the projects. It's really great. That makes me really happy. And then also, uh, it depends on the video. Like I did a, a project which is all about foxhole radios, which is about radios that were made by GIs during World War II that are just made out of like a safety pin, a razor blade, a toilet paper tube, and some wire and some headphones. No batteries. And uh, that video got battered around and was watched by all sorts of people who, you know, that brought back all sorts of memories for them. And that was, so I, it depends on kind of the video. Sometimes the video actually gets its own audience because of the subject matter. But I would say, you know, lots of, I don't have a lot of information, but I'd say people who teach their kids at home, lots of parents watch with their kids and do the projects. So you're, it's a, family you're, so you're a teacher again. Yep, in a way, it's a bigger, it's a bigger classroom. Mm-hmm. Mac Magazine is also doing. Is it an annual fair, the Maker Fair? We actually had two this year, and Maker Fair is really cool. It's a gathering of makers who come and uh, basically are rock stars for a weekend. They come and they set up what they make, and the world, like thousands of people in San Francisco, we had forty thousand people come, who get who come and see what they're doing. 40,000 people are coming to that fair. Yeah. That's big. 
it's it's really big and it was like as many from the start wasn't it i think it the grew a little bit but the, yeah but the, from the start it was like uh, i had thirty thousand something yep well i mean that's that's what i meant uh with i think it hit a nerve it really took up on 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 a on a spot where, where people have already been yeah they are doing things uh, using this new era of uh, almost unlimited av availability of components i mean that's the point i mean yeah. people have been doing <coughs> things but today there are so many uh things that are already ready to be integrated uh, there are tons of standards around which you can just plug things together that haven't been available before i mean the table here is filled with some stuff what have you brought yeah ah oh, that's the brain so we've got machine, the brain machine it? that you put this on and it um shifts your brain it you, you your brain synchronizes with it to experience different brainwave states the tv be gone these are both mitch altman projects and um both build on lady ada's work lady Atta, this is actually a lady ada project she built on mitch's work and then with the tv be gone mitch built on lady ada's work using the mini pov3 and then i've got a little uh I've got a really great thing that I use with my iPhone. It's a, um, it's a battery, it's a USB battery charger or power source. In an Altoids <laughs> tin box. <laughs> the ultimate project box. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the tons of, tons yeah. of projects that just use it as a container yeah. for what, what not. Yeah. And then I've got a project here. I'm, the, what I've been doing this December is making projects that people can make and give as gifts. And this is a little tensegrity thing that, uh it's a little ornament that you could make i really like this my rubber band and straws yeah but it looks really cool yeah it's great it's, isn't it one of these buckminster fuller yeah and What's it's it called my dad actually i grew i was born in carbondale and my dad was studying with doing graduate work with buckminster fuller when i was born so now we knew would need video but we don't have it we have to we'll use link to a picture audio and uh yeah try to be as good as we can in our descriptions so um, or you can go see the video the video will be up at makezine.com slash podcast or you can look at my Flickr sure. feed at flickr.com slash photo slash brie all the links you need uh, of all the things we mentioned here are in our show notes on the website which i have to say are awesome you have some of the best show notes out there because you list so. all the you list all the links and but you don't go on and on about them you just do the link and it sends you there. Uh, right, I yeah. Like that. That's why it takes so long for me to produce my podcast because I'm always listening to them once more, which can be <laughs> very <laughs> time-consuming. But yeah, no, that's uh, yeah, that's the quality I want to provide here. Um, so that brings me back to the congress and and the talk yes. you are going to do. It's called DIY Do-It-Yourself Survival. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's going to be about making things what what is it going to be about in particular well it started because i was um it started because i was actually on the subway in new york city waiting for i was on the platform waiting for a train and there was this gentleman singing uh street musician singing songs and he was like singing these love songs and they were just like everybody like was affected it was beautiful and some guy shuffles past me with a grimace on his face looking miserable and he just basically he kind of mutters to me as he passes by, you know, it just gives you a shred of hope for the future of humanity, doesn't it? And it was just like, whoa, this person really has no hope. <laughs> There's, you know, this person really thinks humanity's over. 
for the most part, unless we can sing love songs, I guess, all the time. But um, I, then I started just noticing how many people like feel that the end of the world is inevitable within our lifetimes. And it, uh, I just thought, you know, well, there's a few things. Well, one, if it's going to happen, I'd like to enjoy it up to the last minute. I'm not going to be miserable about it. And two, if it's going to happen, I feel like I should be prepared. So, um, so I'm basically putting together a presentation of things that uh, you can make and do to be prepared for multiple different types of disaster situations. And some of them are practical and some of them are preposterous but For disaster situations like, well like, like where i'm where i'm from in seattle we have multiple disasters possible we have like there's a volcano that's active nearby that could happen in oh. a giant hundred foot wave of mud boiling hot could sweep over the city mm-hmm. there's tsunamis because it's next to the ocean and the pacific and the is whole place a, could be is wiped out a real probability that this volcano is going on well, sometime Close in the next like Seattle. ten thousand years. Ten thousand years. Okay, so Microsoft. <laughs> but you never know. Safe. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then there's also things like Boeing and Microsoft, which you know back in the day <clears throat> during the Cold War, we all thought, well, Ooh. we've got we're a target for that. But uh, so yeah. Oh, and then we have earthquakes. It's I've been in one earthquake in Seattle that was pretty serious, mm. and then but that's not nearly as serious. How does it feel? Well, um, I was in my classroom and we got up to go and everything started. It was kind of like being on a, uh, on like a truck when it's moving mm-hmm. and everything started going back and forth. And there was a moment, maybe five seconds where everybody was just stunned. And then some kid yelled out, it's an earthquake. And I basically yelled, get under the desks now. And I've never had a instruction followed so instantly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, everybody dived under desks. And the trick is, is you want to hold on to the desk as well because uh, the desk is moving back and forth. And, uh, it, you know, everything is kind of lurching, but it's not like it's lurching in a regular pattern. It's sometimes it lurches more. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, yeah. So it was already a pretty serious earthquake in a way. Could yeah. Have. It lasted maybe 10 seconds. And then we just basically held held it down for a while and there weren't usually there are like sometimes there are like uh, aftershocks but at this one there wasn't duck and cover <clears throat> so that brings me to um so you, you diy sur- yep. survival um i'm gonna be talking about ham radio and aprs and how to filter water and stuff like that oh ah, okay so things you could make to actually survive any kind of disaster And I, and like internet outages. I know. That's going to be the one that hits <laughs> us the hardest, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be like, come on, where's Twitter? <laughs> My feet are gone. <laughs> I can feel it. Yeah. Yeah. I am isn't working. <laughs> My mind is gone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting, but I'm, I don't know. For some people, if you're not attached to the internet like I am, it may not affect you, but I actually am. I rely on the internet for most of my personal communications right now. So, so you have a lot of experience with with doing things. You have a lot of experience with teaching things. You have a lot of experience with actually demonstrating how to do things. What would you suggest for people who think about doing projects that address other people, younger people, or whoever? Um, how to 
actually motivate them into doing things because my experience is i uh, from myself i'm i'm a very bad maker i had uh r i'm i have troubles with hardware yeah i'm uh, one of the uh, i'm a software guy i have to confess <laughs> 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 i love the you know being completely in a digital world where it's like easy to push bits around but the real world with all these wires and power and stuff mm, took a while for me to you know get um acquainted with everything so do you can you provide guidelines or tips uh, at least on how to address these groups if somebody would like we have a hacker space and i want to do some kind of open workshop addressing new people we have something like this going mm -hmm. you'll probably uh, Uh, have talked about this at the Cars Computer Club in Cologne. They have this U23 project, yeah, yeah, yeah. which addresses like people under yeah, yeah. 23, uh, and they're also doing It's hardware really cool stuff. Um, to explain a little bit about that, basically they have people come yes. in, and uh, there's mentors, and basically there's small teams of young people, and they're issued a challenge. And one year, every other year, it's a hardware challenge, and then it flip flops with a software challenge. Mm -hmm. And usually, it's something interesting like making a IM client that can uh, through encryption be completely anonymous so they mm -hmm. can, so kids can use IM at school and not have to worry about being tracked, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like this. So, and then it gets, it's interesting though, because it's not just about making things there. It's also about, they have to learn how to use teamwork and work in a team and figure out how to and problem solve. And, and so I think, so I think your question is how to address people to get, who want are interested in making things but are at a some sort of a block. yeah and and also to to make them interested in in things because <coughs> that's that's why i mentioned my experience sometimes people are just scared because they think it's too complicated too much work i don't know things they don't understand or i don't know too dangerous whatnot so what's your approach well i mean I, th i think it's different for everybody i mean I feel similarly actually about hardware that you feel or software oh, really? that you feel about hardware. Oh, okay. And <laughs> a lot of the things that I do, I don't know how to do. And a lot of times I'll start on things and some of my more ambitious projects I've actually had to bring other, I've had to get lots of help because, um, you know, it's, there's just things that I don't, I'm not, it w that would take me a long time to learn how to do. Um, so I'm thinking like with the, with the drawing robot that I made and, with the um, near space balloon that some I actually didn't make the, this. These are all collaborative projects where I started them and then desperately needed help. And um, so I would say that making things is really rewarding. And one of the things you need to want to do is you have to want to make them. You have to want to make something. So if there's nothing you want to make, then there's not much you can do to make somebody make something. Um, but if you get, if you are around people who are making things, that's usually pretty inspiring. So I think it kind of, Hmm. So I think there's a number of different kind of like elements that are in place to get somebody making things or feeling like a maker, I think is what you're saying, what you're asking how to get to. And one is basically wanting something to make and having an interest in making something. And that's one of the places where the magazine is really good because it's really lots of pictures and lots of things that to inspire you. And you don't even have to know how to make it sometimes. You can you don't have to you don't even have to make it sometimes. You can just want to make it or know how to make it and that can be enough to inspire other ideas so um if you're interested in electronics the nice thing is that you can get kits nowadays you don't have to 
you know, make your own PCB boards. You can go to, we've actually got a bunch of kits at the make store that you can, we've got the TV be gone kit and, uh, mini POV kits, persistence of vision kits and all sorts of stuff that you can go kits there to, to for building completed, well, little projects. projects. Yeah. And the, the kind of things but where also the, the, I thought you were um, talking about platforms for developing on, which was the one yeah. you were, um, recently using this, uh, forgot the name this electronic board that you can program arduino all right yeah arduino is huge right now actually if you're interested you know and that is one of the things that's really cool if you're if you're a software guy and you want to get into making things microcontrollers is a really good place to start because um the language is pretty straightforward in terms of the programming language and it's not rocket science to be able to get things to blink and move around and sensors and things and uh and so you can start physically compute physically pro programming for physical computing so you can you can start making software actually do things and uh with i've seen friends who are software people get into physical like hardware pro programming for hardware and yeah that's when nobody sleeps because it gets really exciting and you make tweaks and you can see it instantly in the physical object what's happening. Mm -hmm. So that would be a good place to start if you're into software. Yeah, microcontrollers are becoming a really interesting topic, especially for the art scene, yeah. which is sort of in, in, a, in a transition from my point of view. Art um, has been mainly in, in a very... <sighs> how can I put it? It's... If, if somebody has been producing art in the last 20 years, it was mainly either installation, picture, you know, something very simple. And when mm -hmm. technology was involved, usually they had you know, their guy coming mm -hmm. in and, 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 and finishing off some tasks. But some of the most brilliant things I've seen that involve electronics are usually from people who actually are from that domain who will have <coughs> really knowledge about uh, computers not necessarily huge hackers that no. know everything you know not, uh, they're not the ultimate geeks it's just that they have acquainted themselves with technology enough to really understand what it's doing in order to do these usually very simple things that make their installations work so um but there's a, a change now. And you can also see if you're following the Make Blog or um, other outlets like uh, Boing Boing and Gadget, mm -hmm. all these um, huge blogs that, that, that also tend to cover the stuff. You've already mentioned that um, GRL in mm -hmm. Vienna, the, um, what's the abbreviation? The uh, Graffiti, graffiti Research yes. Lab, which have been... Uh, yeah, have uh, totally stunned me with with, yeah. with their with their idea, which was so simple, like the laser um, controlled graffiti, graffiti done by a projector. So it's nothing but a projector. So the the best thing of this is is the idea. Yeah. But then it's well done in terms of delivery, and you, you can really tell from the beginning that these people have understood technology uh, far enough to adapt. The, the the proper technology to it they're not yeah. totally overdoing it they're so i've seen so many art installations that are just you know doing something really simple like having a loudspeaker go on and off in order to do this 
They have a full PC with, a, <laughs> uh, you know, scripted web browsers that hit web pages, and, it, and it's so overdoing it because they don't really know what to do. Although they could also take one of these small microcontroller boards, have 10 or 20 lines of code mm -hmm. uh, doing the same thing, which would be, of course, much more elegant and cheaper <laughs> as well. The other thing that <coughs> you bring up with the GRL, or that comes up with the GRL th folks, is that they're sharing what they're doing. So not only are they doing insanely cool stuff, but they're saying, hey, if you want to do this too, here, do it. Here's what you need. Make it happen. Let us know. We'd love to hear about it. And th I mean, that's the cool thing about making right now is because of the internet, there's all these people, maybe only 1% of the people who make something are actually posting a picture or uh, doing some narrative about it on the internet. But it's enough that it's like, if you want to do something, there's probably somebody who's done something similar and you can figure out how, the, the, and they're probably, you can reach them and ask them how they did it over email and have access to people like we've never had before who are doing things and um like you said earlier with the access to like component components and microcontrollers it's just it's a, probably the most exciting time ever in yeah, terms that, of that's making true the, the culture of sharing is probably one of the other yes. driving factors here and and the the software scene has been doing this for a long time and we've all yeah. seen what's coming out of this complete operating systems yeah. applications and so on and here and there it's also coming into this I don't really know how to call this an art scene it's not I would say it's a maker scene yeah. and um, one of the also again talking about the the traditional art scene mm -hmm. something they haven't really understood in my point of view is the concept of sharing yeah mm -hmm. they're really behind you know keeping their ideas for themselves not telling about details not <coughs> publishing any kind of source code because they don't really know that source code is involved <laughs> right. in realizing their project probably um, and of course have no idea of um, the methods of sharing as well mm -hmm. while groups like GRL and we've been doing something uh, similar with our uh, Blinken Lights project mm -hmm. we had you know we had the knowledge on how to do this and we had the experience of sharing so we just shared the stuff so the code everything and the interesting effect is that people are actually taking up on the work. They yeah. take it and they refine it and they uh, do some kind of interpretation, extending it, bug fixing it maybe. Mm -hmm. And and th that's a very interesting experience that your, your stuff lives on, probably not forever, but uh, definitely longer than you would originally expect it. And uh, if you haven't done this, uh, you can't underestimate the feeling that you get when you make something and you publish it to the internet and somebody else makes it and they do it differently in some way or they make a change. It's like, it's uh, it's actually, you know, it's a great feeling to make something in that sense of accomplishment. It's actually for me, it's, it's a step up from that in the like, it's just because you know that somebody actually was interested enough that they wanted to kind of do what you did and they cared enough to make it personal to them and make some sort of make it make a change. Uh, yeah, I think w what what people need to get is a new way about uh, a new way to th um, thinking about the concept of copying, because yes. generally, especially in the art scene, again, copying is considered to be a bad thing. Yeah. Oh, he copied my idea, my concept, my project, whatever. Uh, like the music <laughs> industry in a way. Yeah. Um, 
But on the other hand, the best stuff is always yeah. what is being copied. So we could, should just, you know, encourage copying in a way. And to a certain extent, I mean, it needs it to be. Well, I mean, if you add an attribution, you solve most of the problems. Yeah, right. Because if you, uh, if you, if, if somebody, if let's say, I, one of the things I try and do is I try and, if I, when I'm doing research on this stuff and I'm getting inspiration from people, I always try and send them links and say, hey, I was inspired by these projects and these people because I want them to get credit as people who've done it and people who've gone before me in some way or another. And, uh, I, and in some ca in some cases, people have done that with me where they've gone and taken something to a higher level and they've said, oh yeah, this person out there did this podcast that, you know, was interesting enough to make me do it. And uh, I just think that it's really, yeah, like the art scene, I think it can learn from this. And I think... Oh, it's just, I just think it's the most exciting thing when people share stuff and other people do it. I, and I think it's really hard though to imagine though, because we're such a culture of like, this is mine ownership that the idea of sort of, it's a feeling like, oh, I'm letting it go. Somebody else is going to steal it from me. But it's actually, it's, that's not the reality of the situation. The reality of something is you're letting it go. And it's like letting your kid go off to college so they can learn more, you know? Yeah. Letting go is always good uh, especially with things you are in love with <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> yes so um maybe getting back to this um sure how to do it thing and and and, and uh i was looking for some kind of you know guidelines okay uh, i got some if you have some more share well so just to wrap it up so basically if you want to get into it find something you actually care about and you want to do don't be don't be worried if it's something really difficult Like uh, my friend Zach, who's in NYC Resistor, Zach Hoken, he w is a programmer and he heard about self-replicating robots, the RepRap project, project. And he basically thought, to, he saw this and something in him s and clicked and he said, I'm going to devote all my free time to making self-replicating robots. And even though he's never touched hardware, uh, one year later, he's creating boards and Eagle, sending them off to China. He started a foundation, a nonprofit, so that he could... Uh, Whatever he learned, he could make. He could buy tons of them and then sell them for just like cost plus ten percent to cover some stuff. And he's doing all the programming. He's switching it over to Arduino so that it's entirely open source. And he did all this without knowing how to do it beforehand a year ago. And so, no, wanting to do it is actually the most important thing. And then most everything else falls in place. The, other, the next thing, of course, is. Uh, do research and find out who else is doing it. And if there's not a community in place, find a way of starting it. You know, if there's three people who are doing the thing that you're interested in the world, start an email thread where you're emailing all three of them. Uh, and then if possible, actually meet with other people who are involved with it. And because it's always more fun and more rewarding to do things with other people and be in a group. That's what's so exciting about for me about the whole hacker group that the hacker space thing going on that started with chaos computer club uh, that I'm so excited about, you know, bringing to uh, New York is that I can't wait to personally go to this place and spend entire weeks staying up really late, drinking club mate, working on <laughs> insanely cool projects that I feel pr <laughs> proud of and feel how a sense of community around. <laughs> how are you going to bring club mate to New York? You know, this is actually one of the main problems facing our club right now <laughs> because actually every club we visited so far has basically said um that like half of their rent 
comes from the sales of Club Mate. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> And it's so good. If you haven't had Club Mate, it's a drink that has mate in it, and it's fizzy, it's bubbly, and uh, it's... Uh, it's uh, it's basically lemonade, but it has slightly less sugar than other... Like, and more caffeine. And slightly more co caffeine, and it works well, yeah. And it's uh, uh, refreshed and active. What does that mean? Um, Is that the you get used to it? Uh, refreshing and uh, uh, refreshing and active. active. Yeah, there are other nice uh, descriptions uh, on it somewhere else. I forgot it. But the best, um, <laughs> the best is the the official tagline of that product. Yeah, is you get used to yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember the moment I was at camp, and I was like, there were everybody, we, you know, we we had some infrastructure at camp that w was really functional. And on day two, we went out and we bought like 20 cases of Club Mate. <laughs> oh where did you get that from? and i tasted it and i was like hmm this tastes like hay like <laughs> straw and then i tasted it again and i just remember thinking and i like it <laughs> <coughs> yeah you get used to it yep it's very another good. way of putting it you are going to be addicted we actually had a taste test in new york we got there's 14 types of mate that you can buy in new york And we bought all 14, and uh, none of them match up to Club Mate, unfortunately. Hmm. Even Macava, so which is could, another. You, you could try, you know, replicating. Self, uh, yeah, we need brewing. to reverse engineer it, honestly. That would way. be a project. Well, you know, I've actually got some connections where we've got we've got one of these groups that uh, makes Mate, and I think I need to bring some bottles back with me and just basically say, make this for my hacker group, or you'll. <laughs> And I'll, I won't threaten them, but I will encourage them <laughs> for the market of Club Mate. Yeah, that would be a market, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, NYC Resistance yes. uh, group, who who has joined you there? What 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 is this <coughs> space going to be like once it's uh, once it's established? Well, it's I really nice because all sorts of different. We've got a bunch, of lots of different people involved who are from different backgrounds. Um, I'll go through the ones that I can remember now. If I forget anybody, I'll have to owe them we'll have to do this drinks. Again. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we've got uh, Nick Bilton, who's in R&D at the New York Times. He basically is one of the people in charge of figuring out what newspapers are going to look like in the future. And um, we've got, I uh, it originally started with George and Peter. George is uh, a hacker in New York City who's very young and 20. And he is also the most ambitious of any of us. He's the one who, when we suggested getting, you know, looking for a space, he's the one who said, well, let's just buy a building. And when confronted <laughs> with the fact that it could cost more than a million dollars, said, well, we'll rent out the rest of it and make it a profitable business. And I just really love having George in because whenever there's a problem, he just suggests the best answer ever. That's with good. And he believes it's, and it's true, you know? <laughs> so, um, uh, and... He's he's the person on the front page of NYC Resistor that has re he has Resistor on his uh, hands in fake tattoos. That's really okay. And the big he has so big he's hair. already living it. Yes. Okay. And uh, there's um, uh, who else do we have? We've also got um, uh, we've got. Let me look here, so I can get everybody. 
Um, oh, you you just I I just took a look at the at the blog of the NYC resistor and I saw you posted the twenty uh, three C three documentation video. Yes, that's good. Do you like it? Oh yeah, it's really it's very it's if you haven't seen this video, you can go to nycresistor.com and watch it because it's a really awesome video, and it's basically going to make you wish you were here. <laughs> so let's see. So other people involved are. Um, Time uh, Tom Igo is on our list of people, even though he's usually too busy to come to the meetings. He's running the uh, physical computing program at IT in at NYU, and we've got Eric Bug, who's a musician and tinkerer. We've got more per people in this. This is an old list here. We need to update our list. Uh, we've also got uh, the person in charge of to this T E U T H I S. Raphael does, is the person who came up with the. Uh, open source mp3 player the daisy mm -hmm. which is a mp3 player that you can make yourself and stick an sd card in it and play whatever songs you want in whatever format you want and you can put it in anything you like and uh we've got um uh we've also got a really awesome woman who is in charge of r&d at victoria's secret she was on a project she is on project runway and It does really innovative stuff with fabric. Victoria Secret, was it? R&D. It's like every guy's dream job, I think. Um, uh, let me find her. Where is she? And um, so she's totally awesome. And she's really, she has like, she has a purse. And every 10 steps that she takes, it takes a picture and uploads it straight to Flickr. So she actually has... 100% all the she's documenting every 10 steps of her life every 10 seconds every 10 steps it's every actually steps I think it's GPS noting certain ah, steps footsteps okay yep. oh okay yeah like, like this cat that is having yeah <laughs> you heard about the cat with yep. the camera on, on his neck and basically you know we've just got a group of people who are really most of them are hardware based And except for George, he's completely obsessed with servers and he's already gotten a... Um, That's good. You always need at least one admin. Yes. <laughs> and he's... <laughs> what is it called? The open source PBX? Asterisk. He installed Asterisk in one day and has started <coughs> been playing with this and it's... Ah. Yeah, it's an interesting part of this uh, hacker space idea, not only to have the, the physical space, but also the, the all these virtual sp uh, spaces and yeah. the communication uh, infrastructure that, mm -hmm. that you need. So you went for, of course, blog and you have a uh, mailing list. Yep. Anything and else? I can go on and on about the people, but yeah, but there's also a whole group of people who come to meetings and just bring insanely cool stuff out of the woodwork from, we don't know how they find out about us, but they just bring really cool projects. And This reminds me of the early days. Yeah. The... Homebrew Computer Club, which is probably the first club of people who are interested in computers at all, uh, mm -hmm. which uh, happened to well be in the in the seventies, which sort of the the club where all those early wizards from Steve mm -hmm. Wozniak from who did the Apple and all the other engineers have been around and. Uh, uh One or two years ago, I met uh, Lee Felsenstein, who was the moderator of this group, and he talked uh, a bit about those times where it was just more of a 
a formal meeting where everybody joined the table and they had a talking stick like way of presenting their projects yeah which is a bit different to what we do in our hacker spaces and probably not the the approach of the 21st century but it was interesting to see that they already had this urge to share their knowledge on on their projects although they're all more or less uh, you know doing things that could bring in money but they were sharing it in the in that in that club so but since then i haven't really seen much of this culture in the us mm -hmm. so it seems like have hacker spaces like the one you're describing are are a new thing that uh, is currently lacking I think it's coming up though. There's also a group um, in Philly called uh, the Hactory. I think they're thehactory.org, and they're just getting started. They've been doing Arduino classes, and they put it out there, and the classes fill up like in one day. So they're doing really cool stuff. And um, there's also a group in San Francisco that Mitch Altman and Jake Applebaum and friends are putting together, and I think they're. There's rumors that they may have found a very central location already, but I mm -hmm. cannot confirm that. But What's uh, the name of that project? I, I don't know what the name is, I actually. I heard one, uh, just forgot it. Uh, I, it's a, right now, I know it's just the San Francisco hackerspace, but Good. we should... There's going to be a cool name attached yeah. to it, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Excellent. Jack Applebaum was also on this program already, and he uh, yeah, did a talk two years ago. Oh, cool! At the Congress, and sort of, he's one of those who um, started this renewed relationship between American and European hackers that we see now, which really comes to a fruition with all these interchange between hacker spaces and sharing of ideas, which is very good to see it finally happening. We, we've been ignored for a very long time, I must admit. You know, <laughs> the thing is... We're doing this for 24 <laughs> years now. <laughs> There's also another space that I should mention. Yeah. That, uh, because they're the ones who actually inspired me to f know about the CCC, and that's the HackerBot Labs folks. Uh, Pablos and Eric and Divide and Adam and... There's just a there's about 20 people who get together every Saturday night in South Seattle in a warehouse district in a warehouse and hack on things and make insanely cool projects happen. And uh, they were the ones that I was sitting down on a couch with and they said, you should go to CCC, the camp. And uh, then they were like, you should, then they were like, yeah, you should, you should just do hackers on a plane. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. And then they were like, you realized you just PayPal'd $1,337 to the Hacker Foundation. <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> they're like, it's all right. We know them. <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah so i think in the states i know with you know nyc resistor uh the hackery hackerbot labs the san francisco whatever uh, the name is mystery name thing mm -hmm. i think we're seeing th oh and there's another one machine project in la which i just learned about which is uh they're doing uh toddbot is doing an amazing arduino workshop that he's totally documented and put all his PDFs online. So I'm not exactly sure what it is. All I know is that it's insanely cool and I'm going to basically have to schedule a trip to LA this year to go there. So, so um, I, this reminds me that I, I did an interview with uh, Pablos mm -hmm. as well. We've also been talking about this uh, hands-on uh, hacking and we've been talking also about the 
uh, American hacker culture, especially uh, regards to conferences. So he's uh, involved uh, in Schmucon and uh, for he's a really good speaker. If you ever get a chance to see him, you should as well, right? Uh, I don't have you been to one of these uh, Schmucon conferences? I did. I went to Schmucon this last year. I didn't get to see enough of it because I was a um, I was a vendor there and I was like selling subscriptions to make and I was at one of, I was one of those people outside at a table instead of one of the people inside listening to everything so I only heard a couple speaks speakers speak but it was a really good time it's a Washington DC conference. Mm -hmm. So talking about <laughs> hackers and 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 uh, the, the feeling of sending $1300 to the <laughs> hacker foundation <laughs> brings me <laughs> to re recurring uh topic here. What's your take on th on the term hacker? What what's your association with it, and how do you see the general public is talking well, about it? Well, it? I think um, hmm. So basically, you have people who understand it and people who don't, and the people who don't understand it uh, generally think that hacking is something that people do that's illegal that is like spying or uh, that's something like, oh, my computer got hacked and all my files and personal life has been stolen. But uh, that's just like, that's not what it's about. Hacking is about being a hacker is being able to, um, you know, especially with technology where so often we're faced with like a beige box or, you know, an iPod where you can't get into it. Uh, the true hacker mindset is somebody who just wants to understand how something works and use it however in, in the way that they want to use it. Not necessarily the way that they've been told to use it, but they want to learn enough about it that they can, that they understand it. And um, I mean, once you understand that, you just get it and you see it. And once you meet people who do this, you start realizing that there's hackers everywhere. Most mechanics are hackers in some way or another because who knows some weird car might drive up and they've got to figure out how to fix it in one way or another using the resources they have at hand. Most, um, most software engineers who may not even call themselves hackers are usually hackers because usually they're given some kind of code and they have to do something with it and they have to make it work. They have to learn how it works and make it work for them. So, um, With hardware, the way it, most hardware hackers work is basically they're interested in figuring out how hardware works and then uh, being able to use it and under, use it as, you know, instead of being something that's just like something that is you're given and you're told how to use it, they want to learn all the different ways that it's possible to use it. And well, in, in Europe, well, I totally share this uh, view, of course, but uh, in Europe, we also have this very strong political part in in the hacking um, scene. So it's not only about technology, it's also about how <coughs> can you apply, what, what happens if you apply certain technology to society, you know, are, are rules in place that, you know, deal with it in the, in the same manner. Is that something you can see in the US as well? You know, this is uh, when I was on the Hackers on a Plane tour, I was hanging out a lot with Dan Kaminsky and we had this light bulb moment uh, where we were thinking about the way that, you know, because Here in, in Europe, uh, hackers are generally thought of as, you know, the last bastion of human rights in Europe in, in some way. They're thought like, okay, if everything goes to hell, 
hackers will be able to somehow make CCC it right. CCC is going to yes. save us. <laughs> and so, you know, and you've it's got such a great Robin history Hood of, image, yeah. yeah, of, you know, I've heard the stories of how, you know, when the the BTX machines came out, you had it donate to the, you hacked it so that it would donate to the CCC and then you brought it all back to them and said, hey, we set it up so that, you know, you would donate 10, however many thousand euros or Deutschmarks and here it is all back. I think you have a security problem. <laughs> Before they even knew. Yes. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so great. And uh, so, I mean, you've got such a great, I mean, you did, I mean, I don't, you, I'm, there's just an ethic there from the beginning of, hey, we're going to learn how things work and make, uh, make sure that things are done, done right. And that vulnerabilities are exposed, not to like, you know, hold over somebody's head, but to make sure that things are fair. And, and so in the States, we don't quite have that same, we don't have that history, even though there are definitely lots of people who do that kind of work in the States. We, that it's not so much embodied. So I think one of the things that's going to be interesting is uh, sometime in the next five years, we're going to have, you know, we've got uh, five or six different hacker spaces growing right now that are in baby stage. And sometime in the next five years, there's going to be, dang, maybe we could do it next year. We could just get some sort of like some, you know, American Congress of some sort together to basically say, Hey, let's, let's unify. Let's take the, the unifications we've got with our clubs and local regional areas and make, do some cross, I'm not sure what could happen, but I'm pretty confident that something interesting will happen. Good. Interesting that you're talking about hacker ethic. Um, well, you know, the hacker ethic that's yeah, always yeah. been talked about is actually an excerpt from a book by Stephen Levy. I had the opportunity to interview Stephen Levy also in the, on mm -hmm. this uh, uh, podcast recently. Well, not so recently, but last year. <laughs> 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 but I finally had the opportunity, which was... Uh, cool because i could ask him about like how see he sees uh, things going with this hacker ethic that he was describing which was just a um description of what he saw it was just like his impression not really a rule set but one of these uh so-called rules or ethic statements i don't know how to call it was the always yield to the hands-on imperative yes which i always found very encouraging in a way it's it's expressed can you do you share this <laughs> you know this was something that was that every hacker space has said and usually it's said like the person who does it is always right or uh he who does things he who's involved gets you know right of way that's one actually one of the golden rules in the ccc as well Wh whoever is like taking action he is right yeah <laughs> just because he's taking extra yes mm -hmm. so um yeah so i think that yeah there you go um uh, what was the question where were we going with that i i don't know i just wanted to you know this always yield to the hands on imperative I, I i it's it's such a complicated phrase in a way not everybody is uh, really understanding but basically it means like make way here are the ones who are actually doing it yeah they right. are just testing it for themselves they make sure they've seen it with their own eyes and, and other associations that uh, come up when i think about it i like this uh, hands-on approach and i think that hacker spaces and uh, also what you are doing with your video podcast is sort of speaking that language 
Yeah, get to the things, try it for yourself. Think yeah. for yourself and do it yourself. It's good for your survival, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, the other thing is that I think is really important is be honest about your mistakes. One of my favorite things that I'm really proud of with my podcast is like when I try some way of doing something and it doesn't work, I do my best to show like this didn't work. So I, like, I tried it, but it didn't work. So like when I tried winding up wire on toilet paper tube by sticking the toilet paper tube onto a, um, onto a drill press and then turning it on, complete chaos ensued. It didn't work, but it, to me, it was important that like, uh, you know, people know that it doesn't always work. In fact, that's, it never works the first time when you do anything. And documenting it is also very interesting because sometimes failure is telling much more about how to do things than uh, success. And my hope is that somebody sees it and goes, oh, it's not all going to be, you know, because so often people start down paths following a really brilliant passion. But they hit an obstacle and they stop. And that's just part of the process is that you're going to hit obstacles. And I hope that people don't stop and they keep doing because that's how exciting things happen. And I want to hear about more of them. Okay. So thanks, Bree, for this long interview and interesting talk and how to make things. Um, I hope I will find the time to join your talk at the Congress. Excellent. And uh, all the links to your podcast and everything, your homepage in the show notes of this podcast. And I hope it's not going to be the last one for months, but I try to produce more of Chaos Radio Express. If you know how to listen to German language, then the Chaos Radio Express podcast is for you. We are uh, doing much more work here uh, in German than on English, but... That's just how things are. Thank Thanks you, Sam. again, and uh, thank you for listening to this episode of this podcast. And we say goodbye. Thank you.